Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive. Show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Halt and Catch Fire. Today we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 10, the season finale, titled 1984. Okay, so, bit of TV writing 101 to get started with this discussion, because I think, I think you really need to understand a basic concept before I really talk about this episode in the lens that I should. So, there are two types of television finales. There are two types of season finales on television. Uh, The first is the climactic finale, as I call it. Uh, That's your typical type of season finale. The big, insane radical episode that brings everything to a epic conclusion and sort of provides a big, loud, insane place to leave off on. That is what 99.999% of television finales are. That way, you get a big little thing at the very, very end to really get this in your mind, to really make this show something you truly remember, and then you'll come back the next year and watch more. But there's another type of finale that is much more rare. What I call the cool-down finale. Now, how the cool-down finale works is essentially... Your climax has already taken place. Your big finisher has really already happened. Uh, In your second to last or third to last or whatever episode. You already had the big thing occur. And now your last episode really serves as an epilogue or a cool down. It really serves to hammer home those last pieces of resolution really serves to just coast on home and get you that last bit of the way to the end of the story. Now, the latter is much more difficult to pull off. Because if you don't do it right, it feels like your show has fizzled out into nothing and people can be left underwhelmed. But if it is done correctly, then it feels really, really impressive. It feels really gratifying. Uh, It feels like your show has been much more organically handled. Uh, The pacing feels much more natural. And you think, man, that was like a complete deal. That was a complete thing. It didn't feel rushed. It felt like it had... 
the perfect amount. Like, a cooldown finale done well can really sell that a series is willing to break convention. And it can really establish yourselves as like, okay, this is something that goes beyond the norm. Uh, They were bold enough to do this. They did it well. Uh, They earned... They earned my blind faith in them. Uh, In fact, the show I think of immediately when I think of shows that have used the cooldown finale perfectly is Game of Thrones. People forget this, but in early seasons of Game of Thrones, they used cooldown finales constantly. In those first several seasons, like, it was just a constant that the second to last episode was the big one, and the finale really just set the pieces for the next season. But no one cared because it just felt natural. No one cared because it just felt right. They handled it well enough. And did that last little bit of place setting with enough confidence. That it just felt so seamless and it felt just right. It never felt like it fizzled out into nothing. It never felt like they were trying to pad out the last episode to be longer than it needed to. It was just... I mean, yeah, the big thing already happened, but... Eh, whatever. Who cares? Uh, We got another solid episode with some solid things happening, and it ended the story uh, in a satisfying way that didn't feel rushed or, uh, or dragged or whatever. This... All this is a very long-winded way of saying, this is very much a cool-down finale. And of course, in an already mildly awkwardly paced season... Uh, That could feel really, really dumb. That could be really, really forced. That could feel like it's fizzling out into nothing. Uh, But honestly, with the story this season has been telling, it kind of makes sense that the finale would feel more like an epilogue than anything else. Because when you think about it, the hard part's over. They built the machine. They found a vendor for the machine. All the biggest hurdles are behind them. Now all they really have to do for the giant is manufacture and ship it. And even though that is much larger scale than what we've been seeing up until this point, that's kind of the easy part, is manufacturing and shipping. Like, they got the thing made, they put it in the hands of a distributor... They just need to manufacture more and ship them to the distributor. And so you get, like, this kind of relaxed last little piece of, like, yeah, hard part's over. We just got to get this business bullshit out of the way, and then our PC is going to make it out into the world. And that's not to say this episode isn't without its fair share of dramatic tension, because it has that, uh, but... It is definitely not the big bombastic thing that the whole Comdex fiasco was. Uh, So I really, really like that they recognized, they got through the hard part uh, to make this feel like a heart-pounding climax would be a disservice to the reality of 
developing PCs. So they just portrayed the coasting to victory. They portrayed the celebrations. They portrayed the last little tiny dotting I's and crossing the T's. And it was perfectly handled. Uh, And I love everything they do in terms of, like, shipping the giant. Uh, I love that opening where Joe and Gordon are negotiating with Cardiff of, like, hey, you gotta get these manufactured and you'll make a lot of money. Uh, You'll make a solid legacy for yourself in the PC business. You'll make a solid legacy for yourself as someone who thrust themselves into the 21st century. Also, uh, give us 8% of the company, please, as payment. And they get it done. And then after that, like, months later, they get the first round of giant shipments, and they comb over everything. Like, they make sure everything is tested rigorously with a fine-toothed comb. They sort of go through every little piece of it and make sure everything's working as it should. Make sure everything about the giant is perfect. And the testing phase, like, while not unimportant, is relatively relaxed. Compared to everything else. Like, they really only hit one snag with a single unit out of a hundred that displays a bug. And that's it. Also, poor Debbie. God, this woman has had to put up with so much shit between Joe and Gordon and Cameron and Boz and all of that. And then Gordon gives her a PC for her work, like, hey, you get to, you get to, like, have the first giant, and then it crashes, and it's just like, and she gets the one out of a hundred that crashes, and it's just like, what the hell? Like, ugh, Debbie, Debbie's just had a bad break throughout this season, Debbie's had a bad break throughout this show, like, Can someone please just give Debbie a hug? Can someone please give Debbie a hug? Because I feel so bad for her. I feel so astronomically bad for this woman who just wanted a nice PC (laughs) from her boss as a reward for all the shit she had to put up with. And then it broke immediately. Uh, because of something that was beyond her control. Just a random bug of, like, one out of a hundred machines. Like, just... Ugh. Why? (laughs) And while all this is happening, uh, Joe is having a combination of lovesick puppy and existential crisis going on. Because A, he is fully obsessed with Cameron. And B, he's realizing, oh shit, 
we've made something that will never in any way be remembered and no one will give a shit about. We made something for the market in the short term, but didn't actually innovate, didn't actually think long term, didn't actually... isn't actually going to make an impact. And here's this Macintosh that's going to completely change the game. And Joe becomes obsessed with the idea of this killer app. We need a killer app. We need a killer app. We need a killer app. And it's just like, hey, let's delay shipping on the giant. Let's delay shipping on the giant. Let's delay shipping on the giant and make this killer app. Partially because he wants to be remembered, but also because he kind of wants to fill the void left by Cameron. So he gets all these coders and is like, okay, guys, let's, let's make a killer app. Let's make a killer app for the giant. And he hears a bunch of pitches and all of them suck. There's a lunar phase app. A beekeeping simulator. It's just, it's, it's just solid amateur hour. Uh, at one point, he goes over to see Cameron, and it's like, please, I, wanna, I want us to work together. I need you. And Cameron just eviscerates him. Like, oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I loved you because you repeated my ideas back at me and pretended they were your own. You've never actually had an idea of your own. You just echoed everything else everyone's told you. You're just a scared little kid. You're the same person you were when your mother let you fall off that roof. Actual thing Cameron said to him. (sighs) That's cold. I mean, look. Joe's a dick, but might have gone a little bit too far there, Cameron. Just a thought. Yeah, so that happened. And then, partially because Cameron just fully rejected him, partially because all the coders left to join Mutiny... More on that later. Joe's like, yeah, Killer App's dead. Let's just ship the giant. And by the way, worth noting, up until the point Joe said, Killer App's dead, let's just ship the giant, Gordon was prepared to blackmail Joe and say, hey... I'm going to turn Cameron into the FBI for hacking and stealing from the bank with Boz. Unless you leave Cardiff because your killer app idea is shit. And then Joe says, oh, killer app's dead, ship the giant. And Gordon's like, oh, okay. And throws away what he was going to say was proof of 
I have, like, evidence to show to the feds, but it was actually, like, a print driver. <laughs> so, yeah. That was a thing for a hot minute. Uh, but now, the Giants gonna ship. Everything's perfect. Everything's awesome. And we have a party. Gordon shaves. So you see beardless Scoot McNary. Which is nice. He looks nice. Clean shaven. Uh, and everyone's having a good time at this party. Everyone's talking about how great the giant is. Uh, Gordon gives Donna the replica decoder ring. And it's cute. It's a really cute moment. And I love it. it. It's so wholesome and amazing. And it's nice to see... It's nice to see my namesake happy. It's nice to see some... A happy group of Clarks. <laughs> because... Yeah, uh... My... My section of the Clark world was not very happy at any point in our lives. <laughs> so... It's nice to see a wholesome Clark family. It's nice to see a happy Clark family. If I can't be happy, at least my name can. <laughs> uh, and then they go to the parking lot. Uh, Christian, the first shipment of Giants. Gordon gives a nice toast to both Joe and Donna. The, his two partners, his partner in work and his partner in life, both of whom uh, sort of pushed him in the right direction. Then party's over. Gordon and Donna drive home in his fancy new car, which immediately gets stolen very violently. Like, these guys, like, crash into Gordon's car. They beat him up. They get in the car with Donna inside, drive away, stop at the corner, toss Donna on the side of the road, and then drive off. So, um, lesson here is, uh, don't buy a fancy car, because then that'll happen. That was actually a terrifying sequence. I'm not going to lie. It's really, really hard to sit through. Uh, but that happens. So, turns out, uh, they sold their first PC. And they're still miserable. Uh, because that doesn't fill any holes in their lives. Womp womp. Oh, also that first shipment of Giants, uh, Joe steals the truck and burns it. Uh, okay. Lovesick plus existential crisis equals burning trucks. Bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out. Like, seriously. 
this moment is so poetic. Like, Joe was so driven to get this PC to market. Like, he needed this. He lived, breathed this PC. Finally got it on the market. Finally got it shipped. But then realized what he did was irrelevant. And also became completely obsessed with his lead coder and fell completely in love with her. And now he doesn't have his legacy because this is nothing compared to what Apple's doing. And he doesn't have Cameron. So now this is just nothing to him. All of this was completely for nothing. He came out the other side with less than what he had before. Essentially. He came out worse than when he went in. So this product is worthless to him now. And this is literally his statement saying, yeah, I don't give a shit. I'm burning this to the ground. Meanwhile, Cameron starts a little company called Mutiny. Now the idea behind Mutiny is that Cameron will use phone lines uh, to have people interact with each other. Play games, communicate, all that. So she will be launching this service. It'll be a whole thing. Uh, getting in on the ground floor of this whole dial-up thing. Getting on the ground floor of this modem phone line deal. Which, by the way, uh, it was something to hear, like, the classic dial-up tone. <laughs> As Lev and Yo-Yo were looking at what Cameron was working on. It's... It's ridiculous. <laughs> that tone, in hindsight, is just the most... It's just the most egregious thing ever. But at the time, it was like, Oh my god, it's magic! And nowadays, you look back on it and are like, That was hot garbage. <laughs> it's just this funny historical punchline. It really, really is. But anyway... So she... Leaves... Her job that she got post-Cardiff... And she starts mutiny. And pretty much poaches every coder at Cardiff to come on to mutiny. And not only does she poach, does she poach Cardiff's coders, but she's also like, Hey, Donna, you just quit your job at TI. Which, by the way, that whole scene... Of her employee review at TI. Where she's just like. Yeah I don't want to work here anymore. It's incredible. Because like she's doing this review. <laughs> and saying like. Yeah I'm kind of a terrible employee. I. I had an affair with my boss. Almost. I went to Vegas for three days. And didn't tell anyone. I don't see a future here. Can today be my last day? 
And then she just leaves and is like, I got fire! And is really happy about it. And then she's just lounging around like, uh, I don't know what to do with life. And then Cameron shows up and is like, hey, I need a hardware expert. You wanna, you wanna join Mutiny? And so now we have Cameron and Donna working together at this small startup deal. And it's awesome. And Cameron is basically giving a giant middle finger to all the stuff she hated about working at Cardiff. Like, she gives this big speech of, no titles. Our titles are our names. That's it. I'm not your boss. We're all getting out everything that we put into it. Which leads to number two. Like, this is not Cameron's thing. This is all of their thing. Like, this is a joint effort. And she closes this out by giving some wise words from Boz. Saying, there's going to be a lot of people who want to see us fail. Because we're the future. And there's nothing scarier than that. Boz, the father figure, everyone in this show needs wise words from a wise man. So, mutiny. It's a thing. It's a thing that's happening. And that's going to be the next thing we focus on. And also, I love this ending. The ending is so well handled. Uh, You see Cameron settling in to her new place at mutiny. Uh, you see Gordon in a conference room with all of his other engineers. And it's like, hey, so what's next? Just wondering, like, yeah, what are we what are we doing after the giant? Just on that constant hunger to keep creating, keep creating, keep creating, keep creating. Uh, and Joe, having burned an entire shipment of giants... It's just like off somewhere like, hey, so I'm going to go some do some stargazing because I can. Like he did his thing. He went through the heartbreak. Uh, he kind of is like off of his existential crisis and it's like, I'm going back to my roots, uh, doing what I did with my mother, looking up at the stars. And then that's where we leave off for the season. This was a very good season. Do I love it as much as I love the rest of Halt and Catch Fire? No. Uh, It does have a couple of minor issues here and there. The pacing is not as even as I'd like it to be. Uh, There are a couple moments where it just gets super weird and odd a little more than I'd like. Uh, But it is a great start. It is a really, really great start to this really, really phenomenal story. Really great first quarter of this phenomenal story. And just sets some truly incredible storylines going forward. At its best, it's masterful. And I love it. So I cannot wait to 
discuss the other three seasons of Halt and Catch Fire because, god damn, this show is so good. Uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just a push of a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark, pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Tomorrow we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 1. Talk to you then.